Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show where we talk about short video games, uh, games that respect your time. I am your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined by awesome co-host, Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing fantastic. This week we're talking about another iOS game. Uh, we've talked about a number of sort of big-name iOS games over the years, but this is one that I haven't played, even though it's actually talked about all the time when you look at best-of lists, and uh, Laura's prompting uh, led me to give it a try, finally, after four years. So thank you, Laura. Uh, we're talking no about problem. Waking Mars. Yeah, so Waking Mars uh, is by uh, Tiger Style, who made both of the Spider games, uh, and it came out in 2012. So at the time, it got a lot of critical success. I wouldn't say it was a popular one, but it's an Apple Essential game. It was runner-up for their game of the year. Touch Arcade named it their game of the year, but it didn't quite break out. Yeah, I guess it probably depends on what you consider popular, and I don't really think they've released like detailed numbers. It didn't become numbers. Spider. That's and true. And everyone wanted it to be Spider. Everyone yeah. wanted it to be the like crazy breakout hit. And that's it's a rough metric to hit. 2012 was a weird time in uh, the mobile space because like Spider came out in what was it like 2009 or something Nine. like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was like the period where it was a gold rush of video games on the App Store. Enormous amounts of cash and uh, indie developers were rushing to the App Store to try to uh, try to be the next great uh, hit on the App Store. And the first Spider, uh, Secret of Bryce Manor from Tiger Style, was an absolute breakout success. Uh, it's an amazing game. We've done an episode, not on the first Spider, but on its sequel, The Secret of, oh, excuse me, Right of the Shrouded Moon, which is also great, but in a lot of ways, like, well, go back to that episode if you're interested in our hot takes on those two games, but the first game still really measures up and is, like, really a great game. Four years between, no, how many years was it before, between now? Three years, I think. Two or three years. Mm -hmm. I've looked back at my iPad and iPhone today and realized I still have a fair amount of games from 2012 installed on those devices, because that was the year that Bastion came out, Beat Sneak Bandit. Wow. Um, one of the Mikey games, Mikey Shorts, I think, came out that year. Uh, so there's a lot of really good, solid games that hold up, still play great on devices out in 2012. Um, and yet, in 2012, um, this little uh, garden ecosystem science game about Mars uh, won the hearts of people and got a lot of as I said, critical attention. It I would definitely call it a sleeper hit if people weren't anticipating it so much. But I played it um, in 2013 on a plane ride and after a little bit of a slow start, really fell in love with it. It's still unlike any game I've played. That's a really good point, though. Like, you played it on a plane. I played it... I, I found that the game was a really slow starter. So I think that part of the reason that maybe this wasn't as big of a breakout hit as Spider is that Spider has a an instant sort of arcade style, you know, you get it immediately. Like the, the, the gameplay of, I am a spider, I'm going to attack and eat flies. And then, oh, hey, there's this whole game surrounding that cute, fun mechanic. All you have to do for Spider is just watch someone flick the spider across the screen and you get why the game is fun. Yeah, immediately understandable, immediately fun. And the fact that it has this incredible game kind of supporting that central fun mechanic uh, is almost a bonus. I think there's probably lots of folks who enjoyed and played Spider who never sort of discovered the secret of Bryce Manor. Um, 
But that whole mystery and its whole, you know, the, the rest of the game is there for you to discover. This game is more explicitly, I wouldn't say that this is in any way a hardcore game, but it looks on the surface like it might be a hardcore game. It's a game about space, you know, it's about Mars. You're in a spacesuit. If you just look at screenshots, you might think this is a Metroidvania, and in fact, I think a lot of folks had that sort of expectation going into it back in 2012, but it's so not. I mean, I saw a couple shots of the game and thought it might have a horror element to it. You're in a cave for most of it, in a spacesuit. The caves are red. There's these weird-looking plants shooting things at you. You're it trapped. looks like it could be a super survivalist game, but really, it's a game where you play a scientist who is trying to cultivate life in these caves. You're a botanist. There's no shooting. You have a jetpack, but it's literally just used to get around these caves. And a lot of the tasks are things like saving a robot um, or trying to get an ecosystem working to the point that you can get out of a certain part of a cave system. There's a lot of thought and patience in this game that I think the art style did not lead me to think it was going to be like that. It was really unexpected. And actually, the game, like I said, it was a slow starter. It was it was a little tough to get into for about the first hour, which is really tough for a mobile game. You know, mobile games, just sort of by the nature of the platform, you're running it on the same device that you look at Twitter on and, like, endlessly stare at social media and stuff. It's really hard to get into a sort of deeper, more, I guess, not contemplative exactly, but like a little bit more mellow uh, gameplay loop on that kind of device, or at least it is for me. I literally had to, knowing I was playing this game for the show and really wanting to get into it, um, I literally had to put my, my iPhone into guided access mode for the first hour or so to make sure that I wasn't quickly switching over to check Twitter every time a notification pops up or what have you. Um, but once I did, once I got past that initial kind of I don't know, a uh, hump of getting a sense of what the game was actually all about. Um, I got really engrossed in it. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I noticed about this game is um, there is voiceover in their characters, and I remember getting excited that one of the, you play an Asian man and that you're guided by a black woman, and Tiger Style didn't have to do that. Um, so that was one thing that I was kind of excited about. And then that wasn't a plot point, which I got more excited about. And then I realized that you're really just walking around, shooting seeds into fertile ground and observing plants. And after a few times I planted things, I started realizing there's a lot more to this game than on the surface. So to set up the story of the game, which is really just sort of a frame, not not vital to the experience once you really get into it, but to explain why there's a... a Chinese astronaut walking around in uh, in caverns on Mars planting seeds. You know, you are uh, Leon, I think is his name. Leon Chang, mm -hmm. I think. Did I get yep. the last name wrong? Okay, good. Um, Leon Chang is a astronaut who is exploring a cave system on Mars that they thought may be uh, a, you know, a, a site of past life on Mars. Uh, he's following up on an uh, on an uh, a robotic exploratory mission. So the, the robot went deep into the caves and was lost and never heard from again. Now they're sending human astronauts in there. Almost as soon as you go in, there's a huge disaster that blocks off the top of the cave system, and your only escape is to go down all the way through the cave system and out another exit um, to meet up with people at base camp. 
Um, so there is this sort of life-threatening aspect to it. And yet, despite that, it's almost very chill because as you explore the, the cave system, you realize this is not a site of past life, it's a site of dormant life. And there's a whole ecosystem of what the game calls Zoa, which are these um, animal-plant sort of hybrids, sort of, um, alien life that are... They move in funky ways. Yeah, they're just waiting to be awakened. And so as you start awakening them, you're essentially kind of like bringing an ecosystem back to life. Um, but you actually are doing it in a very sort of managed way because as you uh, as you do this, you know, all of these things sort of reproduce by creating seeds. Um, but all the different zoa have different properties. Uh, and so you're trying to, and some of them eat each other, some of them kill each other, uh, some of them reproduce with each other or require each other for their own reproduction. So it's this complex sort of interrelated set of creatures that you have to cultivate in order to get them to thrive sort of as an ecosystem. I This might have come out in 2012, but uh, Avatar flashback of when he suddenly realizes it's all connected, that's this game, but just with plants. <laughs> and I loved that the kind of nerdy aspects because you are collecting research and it's not as if you have a bar that says research and when the bar gets to the top you can suddenly spend your research points learning something no this is literally a checklist where you have to observe the plants in different aspects of life you have to see it dormant you have to see it reproduce and as you learn more about the plants not only do you, you know, rack up those points get that completest picture you also get to start manipulating the system in more intelligent ways and you learn a lot when you mess up in this game. You learn a lot when you mess up this game. Yeah, that's really true. Like, observing the, the Zoa was sort of the first big wow moment in the game here because, like, you know that you have a goal. Like, for example, as you're progressing through the cave system, there's these sort of membranes that you have to get through. They're kind of the doors. And in order to get past them, you have to raise the biomass of the rooms. These, these uh, membranes are kind of acting like a filter and they won't let you pass through them unless the biomass of the room is higher than a certain point. And that's just sort of a score for each room based on how many Zoa are alive in it. Yeah, and you start off by doing math and then you're like, why am I doing math? And then you start realizing, oh, if I can get these things to work together, I'm an astronomically fix this room. Yeah, you can, if you're playing smart, you're kind of building little systems that will reproduce themselves and increase the biomass all on their own for you. So you're observing these plants and seeing how they reproduce. You literally have to just watch them and try and figure it out. And, and once you realize it, then it adds that to your log and you keep a little log of like, these are the different types of plants or animals or zoa or whatever. And, um, you know, here's how they reproduce. Here are the things that they can do to uh, to defend themselves. Here are the things that kill them, and so on. And you just learn this stuff by watching it happen, which is really a clever like way of handling this. It's really cool. And once you know that stuff, you can try and okay, if I plant one of these near one of these, then it's going to provide this resource that's literally just going to fall onto this other plant, and that's going to cause that plant to reproduce and so on. So you're trying to set up these little systems by placing plants in different places. To I say plants, some of them are animals, but you're trying to yeah. place them in different ways that'll hopefully create these little self-sustaining systems that will increase the biomass of the rooms that you're in. And what's really fun is if you mess up, you plant the wrong things, you break it, um, you have to repair the system. And it 
feels haphazard until it clicks. There's a wonderful quote by Robert Florence from um, Rock Paper Shotgun uh, that says, the smarter you are, the less work you have to do. Whenever you feel like you're doing some hard labor in the game, like traveling somewhere to get water and then somewhere else gets spores and everything is taking too long as a bit of a hassle, that's when you know you've got things wrong. When everything clicks, when you visit an area and there are seeds flying everywhere and seething masses of life, you know you've made some smart choices. This game goes crazy when you have incestives. It just Everything is happening at once. There are things just flying through the air and you feel like you have, you know, a God complex. You have created life on Mars. I didn't completely fall in love with this game until about three hours in when I screwed something up really badly. Um, and to kind of explain, there's these, uh, there's this one type of, there's two different types of soil. There's uh, alkaline soil and, uh, and Acidic. Acidic mm -hmm. soil, right. And um, and there's this one particular plant that has two sort of phases that it can go through where uh, there's sort of the acidic version of this plant and the alkaline version of this plant, and they each produce spores that will change the soil that they fall in to match. So, you know, this is your kind of tool for if you've got a, a room that is all acid or all base, you can change it one way or the other. But there's relatively few of these plants in the game and they're easy to kill. And I realized very near the end of the game, I'd say this game altogether probably five to six or so hours, something like that, is, I guess. I was probably four hours in, maybe three. And I killed off all of the acid plants in the entire cave. They were all dead. And I did this entirely by accident. It was, uh, it was just that like I was... Um, they can be a bit of a, a problem because it, they spit out these spores that turn the ground to acid and that kills other plants. And so I was like, oh, these things are screwing up my other plants. And I, I killed them, intentionally killed them, and then realized mm -hmm. that was all there were. And I had killed them all. And I was screwed. And not to do any spoilers, but there's a point later on in the game where you very specifically need spores from that plant. And I thought I had screwed myself out of the ending entirely because I searched the whole cave. There were no more of them. And then there was this moment of little discovery where I realized, oh, the like spores that are the base version of that spore, if I literally dip them in acid, they turn into the acidic version of that spore. And it was this like, wow, that's insane. I, I would, thought I was screwed and now I've I science my way out of it, right? This was the like the Martian moment for me. I was like, I've grown potatoes on Mars. It was really, really cool. Um, and setting up those kinds of like moments where you're, by the skin of your teeth, you're barely managing to keep an ecosystem alive, that's the cool part of this game. And it can take some time to get to that. And I think early on, all you're doing is maybe having two or three plants interact with each other. And it's not half as exciting as later on where you are trying to get you know animals to crawl into other plant's mouth or swim across the screen. And and those are much more interesting challenges. I understand completely while it paces up because it they are kind of tough concepts to get your head around. And it's a it's not a intellectual game, but it's a brainy game. And it does take, you know, a little bit of time to start realizing how things go together. It's just a shame because a lot of the most interesting mechanics happen much later in the game because you you need five, six, seven types of plants and animals before you can 
you know, achieve something really complex. It's yeah. an ecosystem game and you have to build the ecosystem and the beginning of that always kind of sucks. I mean, yeah, and it's all like it's all about the interaction between these different types of plants and animals and you have to do a lot of like observing and uh, sort of trial and error before you even really know how they interact. So it does take some time to kind of get over that hump. But if you if you spend I think what I probably would have if I'd have spent earlier in the game doing more observation, I think I probably would have gotten there faster. I, I, yeah. I, I think it just took me a little while to kind of get my head around what the research mechanic was all about. Um, at first, I spent a lot of time just sort of struggling with the controls. It's a, uh, it's a 2012 touchscreen game, and... Now, actually, I mean, we, we have you played any of the other versions? It's out on uh, Steam for Mac, Windows, and Linux. And on those platforms, it has a gamepad control. Have you tried any of those? I have not. I did play on, um, the first time through, I played on iPad Mini on a little stand. And I did not find it nearly as frustrating as today when I was... Uh, getting my hair dyed and playing some refresher on the iPhone. And I think it's a lot harder to do the controls. It's just there's a lot going on in the screen. It's harder to have the precision. You're moving in a jetpack and trying to shoot. It's kind of awkward. Yeah. What's specifically awkward about it is that like you're you're jetpacking around, but the way that the controls work is that like you tap in the direction that you want to propel yourself. And that might mean that, you know, you might be going left or right or up or down and you have to tap on the top, bottom, left or right edges of the screen, more or less. Um, and so it works really well if you're playing on a device that you have, for example, like sitting flat on a table. But if you're trying to hold it, that can actually be kind of awkward. I found it pretty difficult to do on my, uh, on my uh, iPhone 7 Plus, uh, which is big and kind of hard to touch all the areas of the screen that I might need to. And then you also got to do the little flinging mechanic to throw seeds. It, it, it can be a little tricky to manage if you're doing it one-handed or even two-handed unless you're setting the phone down. I believe it launched iPad only oh. and and then scaled down. Huh, I did not know that. I, I think that was the case. I know there was a reason why I didn't play it at first, and I believe that might have been why before it went universal. Hmm. I know they did that before. I think they did that with Spider. They did that with Spider as well. And I think that... I, I had waited because I didn't have an iPad when it came out. Mm. And that's probably one of the reasons why I waited until I have one. Because I, I think I thought that was the canonical way to play it. And honestly, I, I probably had a better experience just because um, iPhone games, I tend to want to multitask a little more. iPad games, I, you know, a lot of what I play on there are ports. And I'm mm -hmm. trained like a computer game to really invest a little extra time in it. I think this game actually would work really well on a computer. I haven't tried that version, but it is out on Steam, um, and you can play with a gamepad there. I was kind of disappointed to find out that I couldn't use a gamepad on the iOS version. I have a pretty nice little iOS gamepad that I like to use for games that support it, um, but it does not support that. It's all touchscreen. But if you have a gamepad and you prefer that sort of experience, I would say try that version. Um, it seems like the sort of game that would work better in that like, I would never say that about Spider. Um, Spider 2, or Spider the Right of the Shrouded Moon, has a like PS4 port and everything, and you can play it with a gamepad. I find that really weird. It's, it's, uh, it's half of the thing is the, is the spider jumping flicking controls. Um, but this game seems more gamepad native to me than the Spider games does. Yeah, and I think that um, on the whole, 
this game benefits from a slightly larger screen, a little bit more immersive gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed sitting down with it in one sitting. I do think that it helps because you remember interactions better. You have a lot more aha moments when it's compressed in time. Um, and I think also it benefited from knowing when it started what kind of game it was. A lot of the trailers say things like survive, you know, you got to survive this cave, and it makes it feel like it might be a desperate game, and you feel like you got to rush at the beginning. And it really will hurt you later on because you're going to slow way down because you don't understand how to control biomass. You don't understand, you know, you don't understand that it's a game about being curious. Yeah, you can open any of the doors with a biomass level of, I think it's two. And so you can mm-hmm. breeze from room to room to room early on in the game, where actually you'll learn a lot more and set yourself up for more success if you take your time in those early early rooms and try to build up to a biomass four or five. Um, first off, you know that adds to your score, and there's some aspects of the game that happen later. I won't spoil any of the plot where you uh, where you need to uh, build up biomass to you know to achieve the ending of the game. Um, and so you'll, you'll do yourself a favor if you spend the time kind of setting up those ecosystems early on rather than just cranking out a few plants and uh, moving on as soon as the doors open. There are multiple endings in this game. Um, and if you just breeze through, there is an ending. And there are also two others. So if you are someone who is motivated by alternate endings... Uh, that's another reason to pick this one up. I will not spoil how to get them, though. I think that actually is part of the Tiger style. Style, um, you know, you can complete all of the levels of the Spider games, for example, uh, without unraveling the secret of Bryce Manor or the right of the Shrouded Moon. Um, and the same thing goes here. You can proceed from the top of Leth Cavern to the bottom and escape into the uh, base camp and survive in probably two hours. Um, yeah, yeah, and and you get out and you get the sad ending. And I almost got that ending, but it does a really nice job of saying, you know, since since the rescue mission is probably two months away, are you sure you want to leave yet? <laughs> and uh, it's like, are you sure you don't want to keep going on the good content we have below? And it and it sort going? of reminds you of some of the mysteries. This game has some central mysteries that are interesting. They're not, I think as intriguing as some of the mysteries of the spider games, but they're there. Like, there's mysteries to draw you in. Um, You know, the spider games almost completely wordlessly uh, kind of share this mysterious sort of side of the the game world that you're playing in. It's so fascinating. Um, Here, they're a lot more direct. The story is more direct. There's actual spoken dialogue um, with, you know, pretty decent voice acting. it's a it's a much more direct, much more conventionally told video game story um, than the Spider games have, um, but it does have a pretty competent central mystery, and uh, it, it it does draw you back in. So you know, once I got to the bottom of the cave and I had the opportunity to escape, I was like, no, I really do want to go back and continue to explore the cavern. And I was very glad that I did because there were some very big surprises. And I'm right at the ending, and I have to say that it's 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 interesting enough to be worth trying to to continue with the game. So I absolutely recommend um, kind of sticking with it and, uh, and trying to find all the, all the mysteries that the game has in store for you. Unfortunately, anything else we say about the ending will probably spoil it. It's not as if it is a 
huge revelatory, changes the way we think about gaming type of ending, but it is really satisfying to keep finding little surprises in this cave. And I think it's going to be spoiled if I talk about it anymore, so let's wrap up there. <laughs> yeah, I think that's about right. <laughs> and if you go back and replay some of the beginning of this game, you're going to be shocked at how fast you go. You understand how all of those plants and animals work, and it is just, you know, I sailed through the first, you know, many, many caves uh, while I was replaying, and I found it really enjoyable, actually. Yeah. It's satisfying to feel smart, even if you're just cheating because you already know the answers. That does help. Oh, and um, I should mention that we didn't mention at the beginning of the of the show, this game is out on a lot of platforms. Um, uh, if you want to get it on the App Store, on your iOS device, or also on Android, it is $4.99. Um, and if you want to play it on a computer, uh, it's probably easiest to pick it up on Steam, where it's out on Windows, Mac, and Linux, uh, and it's $10 there. Uh, probably worth the extra money if you prefer to play with a gamepad and get that sort of more immersive experience. But I also know this has been in a number of bundles over the years. This has been out since 2012. So it might be one of those things where you might want to check your Steam library and see if you already have it. Also, I know it comes up on sales and stuff pretty frequently as well, since it's been uh, been out so long. It, it's uh, one of those things that shows up frequently in Steam sales and whatnot. Definitely. And I think if you want to know what life is like in 2097, this is a great way to do it without shooting things. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not combat-focused, which is uh, a little bit refreshing. And I'm not one of those folks who thinks that, like, oh, man, guns are bad, playing games with guns is bad, I like a good shooting man, um, but it's it's very interesting to play a game that's more about sort of this uh, ecosystem building gardening thing. It's really neat. Um, very much yeah. enjoyed. Thank you so much for recommending it to me, Laura. I uh, I had been meaning to get around to this game since 2012 and had been putting it off for one reason or another. I actually bought it, I think, sometime in 2013 when it went on sale for the first time, and it had been sitting in my like purchases list on the iPhone uh, ever since then and uh, never actually even booted it up as far as I can tell. But finally going back into it, going into it, totally worth spending your time on. Mm -hmm. So thanks again, Laura, for recommending that we, uh, we kind of go back and replay this game. Um, it's interesting timing because Touch Arcade had that great article just a few days ago uh, that was a sort of old... Did we already talk about that at, in, earlier in the episode? No. Oh, we didn't mention it? Good. It, we, a week after we decided to recover Waking Mars, Touch Arcade had to steal our glory and do a recap. <laughs> yep. It's a great great recap. I'll try to link to it in the show notes. Um, they've been doing that a lot recently where they go back and kind of re-explore games that were their game of the year or uh, RPGs that, that are... Uh, the, the thing about our, uh, iOS as a platform is that there, there's not really a... There's no generations on iOS. You know, There's no kind of retrospectives on the greatest games of the Super Nintendo or what have you. Um, so it's great to see folks kind of going back and looking at these older games and kind of trying to, to see what still holds up, what's still worth playing. Um, so hats off to Touch Arcade. And um, uh, while we decided to do this before you published your article, Touch Arcade, we're glad that uh, we're glad that the, those came out around the same time. Um, so thank you so much for recommending the game, Laura. 
Our next game we haven't picked yet. We're not really sure what we're going to be doing next. Uh, but either our next game or the game after that is going to be a spooky game for October. So if you have a spooky game that you think is a great short game, either a horror game or maybe just something with a uh, Halloween-y theme that you like and that you think would be good for the show, uh, let us know. We're actively seeking something to sort of fill that itch right now. Yeah, we made a mistake of playing most of our spooky, terrifying games earlier in the year. Mm. So uh, we've played Undertale. We've we've uh, seen a lot of Teenagers in Peril. Uh, but I think there's still scares out there in the world to be found. Yes, skeletons uh, apply within. So if you, uh, if you have a suggestion like that, go to www.theshortgame.net where you'll find our contact form. Thank you so much for folks who've been writing in there. We really appreciate everyone and try to respond to every single one of them too. Um, if you uh, want to reach us on Twitter, we're at underscore short game. I've been your host, Reagan Kelly, and I'm also on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. And Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Short Game.